morning, if you have your Bibles, I would like you to turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. It's near the end of the New Testament, the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. You see on the screen before you that graphic that we have used for several weeks. In fact, we began using it on Easter Sunday just a couple of weeks ago, and that is Jesus Christ, our living hope, my living hope in Jesus Christ. And so this morning, that is a theme that we are, have been looking at. You see there in that graphic a, a, uh, what, what symbolizes a stone being rolled away from the tomb. I believe that is, I know that that is absolutely one of the, the, the key points in all of human history. When that stone was rolled away from the tomb, not so that Jesus could get out, but so that mankind could look in and see that he wasn't there. And I thank God for the power of the cross and the power of the empty tomb. And so we're, we're looking at this here, my living hope. How does it relate? What Jesus did, how does it change my life? And here in 1 Peter chapter 1, what we're about to read this morning will mean more if you know just a little bit of the backstory. all right? You know, the, 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 the story leading up to these verses. This will mean a little bit more to you. The person who was writing was named, of course, Peter. It's, it's named after him. Thirty years before writing this, Peter was one of Jesus' closest disciples, one of twelve. One of Jesus' closest disciples, but on the night before Jesus was crucified, the Bible says that Peter denied knowing Jesus. He rejected Jesus multiple times. Now, we also know, the text goes on to tell us, that Jesus, of course, later on restored Peter and forgave Peter. So when Peter refers to mercy, and we'll see this in just a moment, when Peter refers to mercy, he understood what he was talking about. He had experienced the mercy of God. I'm going to add this in as well. I just feel like I need to say this today, that there may be someone here today who is thinking I have done too many bad things for too long and that there's no hope for me. That is not of God. That is a lie from hell itself. It is not true. There is nothing that is beyond the power of God. So if you're here this morning and you're wondering, can he forgive this? The answer is yes, he can and he will. You say, well, what about the unpardonable sin? Listen, if, if you, if, if, you wouldn't even be here today if you had committed the unpardonable sin. That's, that's stuff for another message. But if you're here this morning and you're wondering, can God forgive me? The answer is absolutely. Who do you think you are to, that, you, that, that you have sinned, that you've committed any number of sins that is beyond his power? God's power is bigger than your sin. His power to forgive. And so God restored him and, and forgave him. Now the people to whom Peter was writing, the, the persons to whom Peter was writing were Jewish Christians who, because of widespread persecution of Christians under Roman Emperor Nero, this is about 60, 65 AD, uh, a, a great persecution was happening under Roman Emperor Nero, and these Christians, Jewish Christians, people who had been raised in Judaism but understood that Jesus was and is the Messiah, they had come into faith in Jesus Christ because of the 
the, the Roman persecution, these people had been dispersed. They had been forced out of their ancestral homelands. They had been separated from family. They had been, been forcibly removed from familiar surroundings. And in verse 1 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter called them strangers in the world who had been scattered. He, he calls them strangers in the world who had been scattered. You, in other words, telling them you're, you're in a strange place, but really he's also saying this world is not your home. And you have been scattered in many places, but he says, but God has a plan. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter wrote this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, remember Peter understood mercy, in his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. I want you to see, there in your hands or on the screen in front of you, I want you to see the words new birth and living hope. He says, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth. This man understood what it meant to experience God's grace, God's mercy. He knew that he had been born again. That is a term that Jesus first introduced in John chapter 3 when he told a man that you must be born again. Not just in the natural, but a second time. If you're going to have eternal life, you must experience the second birth or the new birth or being born again. A spiritual transformation. Jesus brought that. And here Peter now, years later, talks about the new birth and then the living hope that comes from that. So the new birth is something that happens when we surrender our lives to Christ, and then the living hope is what we live in for the rest of our lives, in fact, for all of eternity. It's both a past thing, the new birth, an event, but also a present thing. It is a living hope. I'll tell you what, it doesn't matter how long, whether it's a few weeks or many, many years, one of the most wonderful things in this world is to know that I am living in the living hope of Jesus Christ. I am in Him. This is not just something that I hope is in the future, but it's a living, present hope right now. That makes a huge difference. And then in verses 4 and 5 of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter spoke of an inheritance they would receive. It says this, an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. We, we looked at this last week. It, it was an inheritance that no two-bit despot, despot named Herod, excuse me, uh, Nero in Rome could take away. It was an eternal inheritance that people who experience the new birth and who are experiencing the living hope can anticipate. I shared this last week and how, how we can receive an inheritance that will wear out, that will fade, that will, that will, that will, that will cannot last in this world. But he gives us an inheritance that will last forever. It's stored in heaven for us. I'll tell you what, we have a lot to look forward to. We have a lot to look forward to in heaven. Now, now, don't misunderstand me. I, I'm not in a hurry to die. There's still some things that I want to experience and accomplish here. But I know this, that whenever my time comes, I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. And when I get there, there's going to be an amazing inheritance. Looking forward to that. 
I don't know if you remember, but back in your childhood, can you recall going someplace? Maybe you're traveling at Christmas time to go and you're going to, you're going to see some loved ones, maybe some family members, an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent, some cousins. You're going to go there. You're going to be with them. And you're also going to open up gifts. Now, I remember the excitement of that, that, that anticipation of going and seeing loved ones and opening some presents. Now, I, I know that this is a poor comparison, but I think heaven's going to be just a little bit like that. I'm looking forward to gathering together in heaven and seeing people who have gone before me, people who also had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you what, when we get there, he's going to give us something that will never wear out, that will last forever. We have an inheritance. You have an inheritance that will never spoil or fade, never be taken away, never be stolen, never wear out. We have an inheritance to look forward to. And then in verse 6, and then in verse 6, he, Peter writes this. In this you greatly rejoice. He's referring back, right? Referring back to the inheritance and to all that God has given us. He says, in this you greatly rejoice, though... Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Read that again. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. I want you to notice there in that verse, verse 6, I want you to notice the words suffer and grief and trials. They're all in rapid sequence there. For a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. Now those are hard words. Suffering and grief and trials are hard words. Now remember this is written to Christians. This is written to people who had experienced the new birth. This is written to people who, had, who were experiencing the living hope. But there's a tension here. The first part of that verse when he says, in this you greatly rejoice, he's referring to the earlier. Yes, we do rejoice. We do rejoice that we're born again. We do rejoice that we have a living hope. We do rejoice that there's an inheritance ahead for us. But then there's this comma and the rest of it. There's a tension here. There's a tension here because he's saying for a little while, you're going to have to suffer some grief in all kinds of trials. There's a tension there. Especially there's a tension for us if we read that and, 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 and someone previous to this time told us that, that if you're serving Jesus Christ, it means that you are above suffering or that when you come to Jesus Christ, you are removed from grief or that when you come to Jesus Christ, there will no longer be any more trials or times of testing some people communicate the gospel as if to say that faith in Christ and the living hope that follows it somehow exempts us from these things. And I've heard people who have sometimes communicated it in, and, and sold, if you will, or presented the gospel as if there are not going to be any challenges ahead. Now, thank God, 
there are some challenges that we no longer carry. We no longer have to carry the burden of that sin. We no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to, to, to dread it when someone talks about eternity and we don't know if we're ready. There are some trials that we leave behind, but in coming to faith in Jesus Christ, sometimes we take on, no, always, we bring on some new challenges. Faith in Christ means that there will be there will be some times of grief and suffering and trials. But it's verse 7. We just read verse 6, but it's verse 7 that gives the why or the explanation of verse 6. We shouldn't read verse 6 without also reading verse 7. It says, these, that the suffering, the grief, the, the trials, these have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. That verse, verse 7, is one of the key texts in all of the book of James because it tells us the why. It gives us the explanation of why we go sometimes, oftentimes, through very difficult times. Peter writes here, Peter, directed by the Holy Spirit, writes that, that how, how, and he uses this illustration, how gold is proved genuine by the refining effects of fire. That's how you determine if it is pure gold. You turn up the heat and the impurities come out. Peter here is saying that the effects of trials on our faith the effects of trials on our faith, like the effect of heat on gold, proves if our faith in Jesus Christ is genuine. And this is why trials are important. That's why suffering grief at times, as a follower of Jesus Christ, while we're in the living hope, that explains why he allows these things to happen in our lives. It is to turn up the heat to prove if our faith is indeed genuine. It's very easy to say we love Jesus. It's very easy to say I'm a Jesus follower. It's quite easy, particularly in our culture, to say yes, I'm a Christian. Now in many places in our world right now today, if you were to declare that you may not see sundown. And I, and I don't say that lightly. There are people who declare faith in Jesus Christ who when they declare faith in Christ are killed. But in our time, in our place right now, it is still somewhat easy to declare that we love Jesus. It is. Here's the thing. When someone begins to push back because of our declared faith in Christ, or when our life or our comfort is endangered, it is then that our faith in Christ is proved genuine. So when we face that kind of a trial, let, let me go back to Peter for a moment. Peter had been Jesus' follower for three years a little bit more than that, some say close to three and a half years. And I believe on the Sunday before Jesus was 
killed on the cross, before he died on the cross, on the Sunday before that Friday, when Jesus and his disciples were coming into Jerusalem, and everybody is cheering and waving palm branches and throwing their coats down in front of that donkey that was carrying Jesus, I believe if you would have asked Peter, hey, Peter, are you with Jesus? He would have said, absolutely, I'm one of the closest to Jesus. It was relatively easy when the people are cheering to say, I'm with him. But then on the night before Jesus, the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he was killed on that cross, before he hung on that cross, the night before when a couple of different people said, are you with Jesus? Now suddenly, when his life is possibly in danger, his faith, at that moment, his faith was determined. And it was proved not very genuine at the time. Now again, God restored him. God, God forgave him. He moved on from there and became a wonderful, useful uh, uh, presence in, in, in God's hand. But his faith was proved at the time, not very well proved when the pushback came. It's then, in those times of heat, that our faith in Christ is proved genuine. Or how about this? When we're pressured to conform to the lowest common moral denominator around us. When we're pressured to conform to the lowest common denomin- moral co- common denominator around us. I have a friend who was uh, discussing some things with some coworkers. And uh, one of her coworkers said, now, this is going to bother some of you, and if it does, glory to God, because today can be a, a, seriously a day of uh, where we surrender it to the Lord Jesus Christ. But a, a coworker of hers said, did you see what happened last night on Game of Thrones? It's a, a cultural phenomenon that I understand that is happening. I've never seen it. Thank God. My friend said, why would I watch that? It's, it's pornography. Her co-worker said, well, I don't understand. She said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I don't want to subject myself to that. I don't want to open a door, something that will. Why would I watch that as a follower of Jesus Christ? And the person looked at her, at my friend, and as if to, as if to say, everyone watches this. My friend said, I don't, because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. You see, are, are, we open to, are we open to people's derision and disdain and, and mocking and per, perhaps belittling us? Are we, are we open to that? Are, are we willing to face that kind of a trial? It's subtle in comparison to some, but are we willing to, to, to subject ourselves to that kind of a trial when we stand with Jesus Christ? See, this is real stuff. You know, it, it may not be uh, around a campfire and someone saying, are you with Jesus and we're afraid to... No, it may, it may be with something else. It's easy to say we're a follower of Jesus Christ, but when it comes right down to it, it's in that crucible. It's in that crucible when our faith in Christ is proved genuine or not. No, I, I choose not to do that because... Not because my church says or because, not because my denomination or not because I, 
Not because my husband or my wife won't let me or, or my parents would disagree or, or because someone is old-fashioned. I choose not to do it because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And he's changed me and he's altered me and I'm not going to do that. Or how about this? How about when someone close to us is hurting and we don't understand why they have to suffer? Well, we've seen that. We've experienced, you've experienced that. And you want to take some of that suffering on yourself and, and you can't and it hurts so deeply. And you wonder, why are they hurting? Why are they suffering? God, why is this happening? Why this person that, that loves you, who honors you, why are they going through it? We wonder why bad things happen to very good and to very godly people. You see, it's there. It's in those, those moments. It's a different kind of a trial, but it's in those moments. It's in those, those occasions when we have opportunity to rage against God. It's in that place. We can say, I love Jesus, but then when it doesn't happen the way that I expect or want or even prayed for, prayed hard for, and it didn't happen, it's in that place that our faith is proved genuine. It's in that crucible when the heat is turned on. Whether we, in that moment, say, I choose to trust him. I don't understand, but I choose to trust him. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. The living hope of Jesus Christ changes how we view life's trials. If you have been born again, if you are in a living relationship with Jesus Christ and you are living in the living hope, it will change how we view life's trials. When they come our way, and they will come our way, it will change us. Now, you, you heard Peter here talking about how, like gold, the heat of trials reveals the impurities or reveals the genuineness of it. There's, there's another, another metal, there's another metal that, that fire has an effect upon another metal, and that is steel. Um, I was reminded of this as I was studying this passage a few months ago. I was watching a, a documentary. It was absolutely fascinating. It was a documentary on um, the manufacturing of steel. I'll tell you what, that's good TV. Some of you, some of you, um, some of you watch football and you think, listen, you, you, if you watch a good documentary, you'll never go back to football because that's good stuff. I'm kidding. I'm watching this thing. And I was like, wow, that is so interesting on how they make steel. And I, and I learned something, and I remembered it as I was, as I was preparing for this morning. Um, you probably know this, that, that regular steel, regular steel, which is an alloy, a combination of, of several different elements, regular steel becomes hardened or sometimes what's called tempered steel with just a few key changes. There's just a few key changes. And I remember watching this and I'm going, wow, that's powerful. The few changes are quite simply this. When you add more carbon, when that is added to the inside or into the mix, when you add more carbon, and then when you add tremendous heat or fire, when that is applied to the outside, 
the result is a product that is much stronger and much more useful. Why? Because you add something on the inside and you affect change on the outside. Internal changes coupled with external heat results in a product with far greater strength. That's how it works with steel. I have to add that that is often, in a way, how it works in our faith as well. When it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ, we may not like the heat and the suffering and the grief of trials. I don't remember the last time I woke up and said, boy, I hope there's a good trial in my day today. If that's you, you need your head examined. Something wrong with you. None of us look forward to that. But when it comes to our faith in Jesus Christ, there is a purpose in the heat and the suffering and the grief of trials. You see, a tested faith is a stronger faith. A tested faith is a stronger faith. When there is something that God puts into us, that new life, he changes us on the inside. It's not just a change of opinion. It's not just a change of attitude. It's not just a change of location. But when there is an internal internal and eternal change, and then you couple that with oftentimes the heat of life's trials, what comes out of that is something that is stronger and deeper and more useful than it was before. Tested faith is a stronger faith. We often grow the most when our deep inner faith is combined with the intense heat of trials. We often, I'm going to say it again, we often grow the most when that deep inner faith is combined with the intense heat of trials. You look back in your own life. I dare say that if you've been serving Jesus for a period of time, you will look back and you will find that if you continue to serve Christ and trust Christ through that very, very, very intense heat of that trial in your life, I dare say that you will look back and say, I was a stronger follower of Jesus Christ afterwards than I was before. Joni and I were talking just a few days ago. And I said, man, you know, I look back at some of the trials, and that I'm not going to go through them, but I look back at some of the trials that I went through the difficult seasons, it's seldom just a day. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> but, but the seasons where it was, God did a work in me, but God also allowed the heat to come up around me. And, I, and, and there was exponential growth during, during those times. On Friday, as I mentioned a few moments ago, our family gathered in Minneapolis to attend our youngest son's college graduation. The commencement speaker, the commencement speaker who, who uh, is the wife of a man that I've known for some years, not known well, but I've known him, talked with him on a number of occasions. Uh, his wife was the commencement speaker, and she told us in that commencement address just a, a part of their story. Everyone has a story, some more interesting than others, 
their story was very interesting. I won't go into it in, at length, but she shared how she shared how many years ago their six-month-old little boy, I believe it was their youngest son, their uh, youngest of several children, how their six-month-old son one day thought he had a cold. It turned out he did not have a cold. He had spinal meningitis. Spinal meningitis is a fearful word. Um, children, particularly children, are susceptible to it and sometimes die from it. Those who do not die are often uh, greatly affected by it, sometimes physically, deafness, blindness, sometimes cognitive. Uh, there are, it, it affects the mind and the nervous system. Their six-month-old son was diagnosed with spinal meningitis. This good and godly woman who, um, this happened 33 years ago, she's now in her mid-60s. This good and godly woman shared how it deeply affected their son, both physically and cognitively. She also shared not only how that horrible disease affected him, but how it changed their family, how it changed her, how it changed her husband. The, the things it taught them, the ways that it tested them, not for a day or a week or a month, but now for 33 years, it's, it's affected them. Their faith in Christ was tested. They were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They very committed followers of Christ. But their faith in Christ was tested and tried and deepened and strengthened by the heat of life's trials. And it resulted not, not just on Friday... But throughout these years, it has resulted in them giving praise and glory and honor to the person of Jesus Christ. Now, that's a hard thing to do on the day that you receive that diagnosis. But in the, in the wonderful hindsight of 33 years, they can look back and they say, now we praise Jesus more because of this very difficult trial. She went on to say how it has become one of the most effective ministries in the church that they pastor. She shared how thousands of families have been eternally affected because of the trial they went through. See, trials and suffering and grief, we, we, we refer to this as a theology of suffering. That God can use our times of trial. And God can use times when the heat is so intense you feel like things are being fried off of you. And in fact, they are. Now this morning, as you're listening to this, or maybe later on this week when you're listening to this, perhaps you've not been forcibly removed from your ancestral homeland like those Jewish Christians to whom Peter wrote. Maybe that's not you. Your church, 
your church has not been bombed by people opposed to your faith in Christ. That's a different kind of suffering. Perhaps you have not gone through what that woman and her husband experienced in their family. But you're facing something. Verse 6 again speaks of all kinds of trials. (laughs) You know what I'm glad? I'm glad he doesn't go into detail there. He leaves it a bit vague. Because whatever suffering you're going through, because of the cause of Christ, See, sometimes we suffer because we do stupid. How many here? How many here have ever done? Have ever suffered because you've done something stupid? Right? No, uh, that it's different because we do dumb things. Right? Everybody's against me because I went. You know, I went through that stop sign. Oh no, no, that's just stupid. Just don't do that. Give a lot of other examples. I'm talking not not for the purpose of stupid, but because of the purpose of sanctified. You're set apart by God. And, and because of that, you go through a trial. There's some trials that some of you are going through because of your faith in Jesus Christ. Oh, it may not be like those early Christians. It may not be those, like those people in Sri Lanka. But you're going through it. And you're being tested. And you're being tried. You're being, you're, 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 you are faced with Lowering yourself to the lowest common moral denominator. That's a trial. But God can use the heat of those times to produce in something us that has eternal, eternal results. You're facing something. Whatever trial, whatever kind of trial you're going through right now, God can use it all to shape you for eternity. Listen, that trial, in all of its intensity, will not be wasted. Let me say that again. That trial, God will see to it that that trial that you are going through right now, in all of its intensity, will not be wasted. Let me add one more thing. He talks about eternity here. He talks about it a couple of times. You see, eternity is not just within the boundaries of this life. Eternity is forever. And some of you are only measuring your trial or your difficulty by this life. And you're saying, this is my challenge for all of my life. No, there's something for the follower of Jesus Christ. There is eternal life. And some of the things that you are going through right now, in fact, if it's something that the Lord is allowing into your life for whatever reason, I don't like it. But I'll tell you what, by our count... In heaven, we're not going to count time like this. But by our count, 10,000 years from now, what Jesus does in you today, you'll still be living then. It's an eternal inheritance. It's an eternal result. It's, It's being refined not just for today, not for this slice of life today or this week or this month or even this lifetime, but for all of eternity. And he's getting you ready for eternity. And one of the ways he's getting you ready for through the trials of life. I want you to stand with me, everyone. I'm going to ask our musicians if they'll come up. We're going to sing a song that is straight out of the Bible. The key line is straight out of the Bible from the book of Philippians. A different man, Paul, who went through different kinds of trials than Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit in Philippians, said, I can do all things through Christ. We sang it earlier. We're going to sing it again. 
Here's what we're going to do. Um, we're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, they're going to get ready. I'm going to close in prayer. We're going to start singing. As soon as we start singing, I want you to do one of two things, one of three things. You can either come forward and we're just going to pray for you around these altars. Number two, you can stay right where you are and just praise and worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Or number three, if you need to go, you've got some obligations you need to go to, you just go. All right? Feel free. But we're going to open up these altars because some of you are going through a trial right now and you're saying, Lord, I needed to hear this message, but I just need to spend a little bit of time with you. I want you to do this. I want you to bring your, your, your trial. I want you to say, Lord, I don't know how long this is going to last, but however it is, I believe that nothing is wasted in your plan and that you can use this to refine me. You can use this to temper me. You can, through this trial... On the, on the outside of this, however long it takes, that you have a plan and a purpose. And so, Lord, I bring you that trial. So I want you, these altars are going to be open, all right? It's all clear? So I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. As soon as we start singing, some of you are going to bring, you're going to come forward. There are going to be people down here to pray with you. Some of you are going to stay where you are. Some of you need to go. Then, then please go. God bless you. Let's do this right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time and for these people. Lord, it's difficult. It's, it's difficult for me to pray this, but I have to say it. Lord, I thank you not so much for the trial, but for what the trial does in my life. There are some things that have happened to me, Lord, I don't understand what exactly in this lifetime I may never understand why they happened, but I trust you. And I know, Lord, that because of the heat, because of the fire, and because of the internal, mixed with the internal change that you affect in me, Lord, out of that comes something deeper and stronger and more useful. I pray this, Lord. I thank you. I pray it for me and I pray it for my brothers and sisters. As we leave this place, Lord, in the moments ahead or in the hours ahead, I pray that we would leave this place, Lord, victorious in knowing that you have a plan and you have a purpose. Not just in spite of what we're going through, but in part because of what we're going through. Pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you this morning. Let's sing together. These altars are open. Sing together. When the darkness tries.